Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name's Amanda Hubler. I'm the Director of Youth and Family Ministry here at the church, and it is my joy to be sharing God's word with us this morning. This morning, as we gather together in worship, we are rounding out a sermon series called God's Fingerprint, Our Values. For the last four weeks, we have looked at how God has uniquely created and called us to be as his church. We've acknowledged that every church bears the image of God and expresses his glory in different ways, and not one church is alike. That our values, they came out of an intentional discernment process, and it gets at the heartbeat or the pulse of PCTR. And we believe that these are God's fingerprint or impression, these values, his desire, his design for our direction together in ministry. The session made up of our ruling elders and our two pastors, they didn't just pick churchy words or things that sound good, but rather words that were given to us by God to embrace and embody as we seek to connect people to full life in Jesus. The values that we named are gospel-centered, that everything that we do flows out of this reality of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. Family, that we are united in Christ as a family of faith and heirs to the kingdom of God. Learning that no one has arrived, nobody has it all figured out, that we are a community that is committed to learning and growing in our discipleship journey. Serving, that we have eyes to see the needs of our neighbors and that we will move towards them in loving service. As we jump in, I'm wondering, Have you ever said something to someone that showed your age or maybe even made you feel old? Like you said it and it fell flat or it went over their head or worse, you realized that it was before their time. Yikes. A couple weeks ago, we had a confirmation retreat here at the church. And on that Friday night of the retreat, myself and another one of our youth leaders, Scott Davis, we were playing games with the students, just trying to get to know them a little bit better. And we were playing a game called Apples to Apples. If you're not familiar, Apples to Apples is a card game of comparison. So everybody starts with seven red cards in their hand. And on those red cards, there is a noun, so a person, place, or thing. Then there's a stack of green cards. And on those green cards are descriptor words, so adjectives. And each round, you take turns being the judge. Somebody flips over that green card, and it has a descriptor on it. And then you look in your red cards to see which one might fit well with it. And so you have this card, and you try to make the best connection because that's the point. You want to win that card. And sometimes it's left to interpretation, and sometimes it's that judge's humor. But we ran into that a lot at our confirmation retreat. Sometimes you don't have a card that fits at all, and then you just discard randomly, and it's hilarious. 
Actually, one of our students was judging around at the confirmation retreat, and she was flipping over all of those red cards, and she was reading them off, and she gets to one, and it said the name Kevin Bacon. Confused, she looks down at the bottom. There's some fine print that kind of explains who Kevin Bacon is, and she reads it, and nothing clicks. So finally, she says, I don't know who this is. Does anybody know who this is? And then another student jumps in and says, I know Bacon Bacon, but I don't know Kevin Bacon. And then our leader, Scott Davis, he jumps in and he starts rattling off a bunch of movies that Kevin Bacon has been in. Footloose, Tremors, A Few Good Men, just to name a few. All met with blank stares. Then he tries to describe the concept of six degrees of separation, and he loses them completely. (laughs) Kevin Bacon, this legendary actor, was before their time. The good news is that Kevin Bacon scored a Super Bowl commercial, and we'll have another opportunity next weekend to introduce the students to him. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I got to thinking... How would the students have heard of Kevin Bacon if no one ever told them about him? And the question for us this morning that we have to wrestle with is how will the next generation hear about Jesus if no one ever tells them about him? I'll be reading from Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 15. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen, but listen for God's word speaking to us this morning. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes." Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As we wrestle with our responsibility to the next generation, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are sovereign and we are responsible. 
You don't need us, but you delight in using us. Help us to understand our responsibility in your plan for redemption in the places that we can cooperate with Christ to accomplish your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The value that we are raising this morning is next generation. And that can simply be described as ministry from infancy all the way through high school. So if we're lucky enough, we'll have someone from the time that we behold baptism here in the sanctuary together, all the way into the point where we are commissioning our graduated seniors. 18 ripe years to take an interest and invest in the next generation. I think knowing why we do what we do is really important. And I love what Paul says at the start of Romans 10. He names the motivation for ministry. In verse one, he says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And church, that is our heart's desire to God for the next generation. Not that they may be good kids, not that they may clean up their act and behave right, not that they may seek righteousness through their works, not that they may conform even to the way that we do church, that they may be saved. And the only way that they can be saved is through faith in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his life that was righteous and free from the stain of sin, his death where he took on our sin and credited to us his righteousness, his resurrection where he conquered sin and death and even made salvation for you and I possible. For to this end we labor and we strive that our students and our children may declare with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead that they may be transformed by the power of the gospel, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, walking with Jesus, and sharing him, not just for their time here, but for a lifetime. I think we can all get behind that in theory, right? But what about in practice? You see, we're an intergenerational church. We represent the silent generation, the baby boomers, Generation X, Generation Y, also known as the Millennials, Generation Z, and the youngest among us being Generation Alpha. We represent a wide range of ages and generations, which makes me curious. How creative are we willing to get? How creative are we willing to get to build those bridges from one generation to another, from the oldest among us to the youngest among us? Because if we're gonna own this value of next generation corporately as a church, it's gonna take some creativity. We're gonna have to take some risks. We're gonna have to put ourselves out there. We're even gonna have to try new things. Look at verse 14 with me. The first part says, how can they call on the name of Jesus the one they have not believed in? There is no denying that the religious landscape has changed dramatically in the last 50 years. And U.S. Christianity continues to decline at a rapid pace. Let's put it into perspective. In the 1970s, 90% of the population identified as Christian. 
compared to 64% of our current population. What that number reveals is that we can no longer assume a shared belief in Jesus. In fact, more people now than 50 years ago don't believe in Jesus. There is 36% of people that are lost and wandering, that are enslaved to their sin and without hope, and our next generation is among them. I've got a graph that I'd like to take a look at together. It's from Pew Research Center, and it breaks down the percentage of adults identifying as Christians pre-pandemic across our generations. It's not polite to ask some their, their age, so I'm not going to have you raise your hand when we get to your generation, but let's use this graph as a reference, as a resource, as we together consider the urgency around unbelief. We have the silent generation, so that's those of you born between 1928 and 1945, 84% identify as Christian. We have our baby boomers. That's those of you that were born between 1946 and 1964. 76% identify as Christians. Generation X, born between 1965 and 1980, 67% identify as Christians. And our millennials, born between 1981 and 1996, 49% identify as Christians. If you'll notice, there's a significant gap between our silent generation and our millennials. And I'm sad and sorry about this gap. I'm sad and sorry because we lack the creativity to meet our millennials exactly where they were at. I'm sad and sorry because our millennials, they don't have same phase or stage of life community in the church. I'm sad and I'm sorry because our youth don't have anyone to look up to other than their parents or someone that's their parents' age. I'm sad and I'm sorry because for some of you in here this morning, that's your child or your grandchild. Church, my heart hurts. I weep with those of you that weep over this reality. And how can they believe in Jesus, the one whom they have not heard of? Generation Z and Generation Alpha, those are the students and children that we are actively serving in next-gen ministry. Brooke Hempel, senior vice president with research with Barna, said this, Gen Z is different because they have grown up in a post-Christian, post-modern environment where many of them have not been exposed to Christianity or to the church. So that's a real unique shift. There are a lot of churches that are empty in this country. Let me say it again. There are a lot of churches that are empty in this country. Gen Z is the one who's really showing the fruit of that. There are many of them who are a spiritual blank slate. For the first time in national history, this is more and more common. Therefore, we can't assume anything anymore. We can't assume that their parents know about Jesus and that they're telling them about him at home. We can't assume that they're going to church. We can't assume that they are reading the Bible and praying. We can't even assume that they know how. We simply cannot assume that the next generation has heard the gospel. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? 
And some of you might be thinking, finally, we have an answer to one of her questions. We have programs for that. That's what she does. That's what Lori does in their teams. But what if I told you that the solution to the problem of unbelief is not a program, but rather a community of people in relationship with one another? Leroy Imes in his book, The Lost Art of Disciple Making says, yet in all these programs in the church, people are still primary and ultimately cannot be helped by something, but must be helped by someone. He goes on to describe an instance when his friend bought him sod for his lawn and his neighbor bought the same sod from the same place and they laid it down at the exact same time. And their yards looked beautiful. I mean, that luscious green grass, the curb appeal was great. So Leroy, his wife Virginia, she went out every day with the hose and she watered that lawn. His neighbor, he set up the sprinkler system and let it run on a timer and it did its thing. Four years later, Leroy's lawn, it looked good. His neighbors, not so much. What's the difference? Church, the difference between thriving and dying is personal care. Virginia, every day, she went out and she watered it so she could pay attention to the areas of the grass that were browning or maybe needed a little more attention. A sprinkler system, a program, it leaves us to desire. And just like it takes a village to raise a child, it is gonna take this community of faith to apply personal care to raise up the next generation. Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. If our heart's desire is that our students might be saved, that our children might be saved, we have to tell them the good news of the gospel. We have to tell them that they matter. We have to tell them that God loves them. We have to tell them that Jesus died for them, that there is deliverance for the darkness that is mental health, the anxiety and depression that follows them around like bad weather, that there is deliverance from the destruction of addiction and idolatry, the void that they try to satisfy within themselves with pain relief, with pleasure, with position, with power, that there is deliverance from death itself, that their life is one worth living and in Christ is full and abundant, not just in heaven, but right now. In our Psalm 78 passage that Lori read for us earlier, it says, we will not hide from them their descendants, referring to the things of old that they had heard and that they knew, the things that were passed down from generation to generation and shared to them by their ancestors, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders of all that he's done. They had to tell the next generation so that they would know God and put their trust in God that they may be saved 
We can't be satisfied with scattering seeds, crossing our fingers, and just hoping. Hoping that it took. Hoping that it might bloom and bear fruit. As we were talking about this in our staff meeting earlier this week, one of our staff members said, that would just be irresponsible farming. We have to prepare the soil. We've got to sow seeds of the gospel. We've got to water the seed. We've got to pull the weeds. And then in due season, if we do not grow weary in doing good, we will reap a harvest. Make no mistake about it. The world will have its way with our students and children if we don't show them the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So this is after the crucifixion and the resurrection where he returns, he comes back and he's having a conversation. It's those 40 days before the ascension. And he says, I'm sending you. And then he does this thing that's like really not socially acceptable, especially like in COVID times. He breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And nobody really wants anybody getting close enough that they can like feel their hot breath. But when Jesus breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit, he was empowering and equipping them for ministry. You see, God sent Jesus in the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. And Jesus is sending us out with that message of salvation to share it with others. That in Christ we are saved from our sin and saved for life. For our older generations, the seasoned saints among us, those of you that have gone before us, we are not leaving you behind. This means that we are sounding the clarion call for you to take an interest and invest in the next generation. You have something that we desperately want and that we desperately need. Think about it. For some of you, God has been your hope and your confidence since your youth. You have gotten to watch the faithfulness of God over your lifetime. Will you share it with us? Will you commend the works of the Lord to the next generation? Will you tell them your story? Will you tell them how Jesus saved you and how he has sustained you? And will you tell them what he's up to today? because he's not done with you yet. Will you serve in the nursery or in church school on Sundays? Will you teach our kids about Jesus at Kidsmen on Tuesdays? Will you partner with parents by helping family small groups? Will you serve alongside our students when they go to Camden or are part of Urban Promise Ministry? Will you volunteer to help the youth take the good news of Good Friday into the community with an egg hunt? Will you mark your calendar and come and hear our current confirmation class make their public professions of faith? Will you be a leader at VBS this summer? Our Romans text says, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. But there's no difference between the oldest and the youngest among us when we consider the matters of the heart. 
The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on him, on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. This is not a one-sided relationship. Taking us back to our value of family, we intend to keep fighting for intergenerational relationships. The kids' ministry and the youth ministry, we're going to keep seeking our older generations out. We're going to keep inviting you to our events, and we genuinely want you to be there. We're going to meet you where you're at. So if you can't come to us, that's okay. We'll come to you. We're going to love you, and we're going to serve you. That's why the youth are going to Harrogate next week. It's why our confirmation class is going with the deacons and elders to serve homebound communion in April. We want to connect with you. We want to glean from you. We want to give back to you. We don't just want what you have to offer. We want you. We want a relationship with you. I'll close with this story. My great-grandmom was one of my favorite people growing up. She greatly impacted and influenced the woman that I am today. My mom was a single mom, and my great-grandmom, she helped raise my brother and I. And she taught me how to do a bunch of things. She taught me how to sew. I made my first pillowcase with her. She taught me how to bowl because she spent two days a week at the bowling alley. She was in a bowling league, and she was just throwing thunder. She taught me how to play cards because on Friday nights with her girlfriends, she played cards, and she needed someone to practice with in between. She told me stories, stories about her life, about the tornadoes in Mississippi, about the war, about my great-grandfather, about her time working with RCA. I loved listening to my great-grandmom. But what I remember the most about her is that she showed up. We can't say that we value the next generation and then don't show up for them. Church, let's show up and show them the way. Let's share our life and share our faith. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the next generation. I thank you for the example that they set for the believers and non-believers among us, for their willingness and warmth, for their energy and enthusiasm, for their curiosity, for their hearts that love the oppressed and long for justice in Jesus' name, for their initiative and servant leadership, for the way they leverage their lives, for the way they invite others in, for their eagerness to pray when we as adults let fear and shame silence us, for the way they seek your face in your word, the way they stand boldly with hands raised in praise to you, O oh God. Let us not cause them to stumble. Let us not condemn or crush their spirits. May we welcome them. May we nurture them. May we commend your works to them. May we tell of your saving acts to them all day long that they may be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.